Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. And if you checked it out, please give it a good rating. It's a wonderful podcast. Water is one of the biggest driving forces of life on Earth. It's been incredibly influential in human history from the time we were hunter-gatherers looking for fresh sources of water to the uh, uh, agricultural revolution and building bigger and bigger cities eventually having plumbing uh, the way that it changed sanitation uh, irrigation and what is the what's the future of water are we going to have enough of this stuff how can we make more clean fresh water i just listened to a very interesting episode alchemy turning milk into water sustainable water management this episode is all about this very candid conversation about water coffee industrial practices sustainable value chain and social responsibilities with uh this man carlos uh galli who Uh, whose job it is to make sure that the biggest food and beverage company in the world is leading a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. Incredibly important stuff. You guys are into science. You guys are into learning, caring about the world, caring about our future. This podcast is for you. Check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. We got some groundbreaking stuff to talk about today, everybody. So we're going to jump right into it quickly. Thank you very much for uh, the support on Patreon. I've been getting uh, notes from people uh, and even people after shows telling me that they've been listening to the, to the everything podcast I've been putting on Patreon, sharing my thoughts on life uh, about uh, capturing a bit of my mania, capturing about a bit of my depression, capturing my my inner world and thoughts and opinions on things just putting it out there i didn't know if anyone was going to listen or appreciate it and both have happened so that's been lovely you guys are awesome and thanks so much for the ratings and reviews on itunes as well super helpful enjoy today's episode are we yes where are we here why are we here not entirely clear we are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all it's immensely bizarre here we are hello everybody and welcome to the here we are podcast today i have three wonderful guests i am in the bio me lab at the Wichita State University, and I have, um, like I said, three fantastic guests who I'm actually going to have introduce themselves because uh, I, I usually, with one guest, I usually need about five takes to get an intro right. So three, that means it would take me about 20 minutes. So this will be much, much easier. Actually, Kim, why don't you introduce yourself in, in the lab since you're, you're the, the head around here? Sure. So my name is uh, Kim Clough. Thank you very much for having us. Oh, thank you, guys. Um, I'm a professor here at Wichita State University, and uh, uh, I'm in the biomedical engineering department, and happy to be here. Wonderful. Subhash? All right. I'm, I'm, I'm Subhash Pandari. Uh, I'm an international student from Nepal. I am currently a sophomore 
studying biomedical engineering, doing research under Dr. Kim Clough. And it's really nice to have Ryan as a mentor, too. It's, it's been real fun. And I've been in here for like two years almost. So it's pretty exciting. It's a good experience. Wonderful, Ryan. Uh, so Don't I'm, screw it up. Those first two intros are great. This is all on you now to keep okay. the ball rolling. <laughs> all the pressure. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm Ryan Becker. I'm a graduate student here at Wichita State in the biomedical engineering department. Um, I've been working with Dr. Kim Clough for, um, gosh, how long has it been? Four years? Five years, yeah. I think it's been been about four years uh, working with him. So uh, I'm about to finish up my graduate degree and... Uh, we'll see where we move from there. But um, Ryan is also my first master's student, so and also yes. the first master's student. I'll be the first one out too in first the biomedical in, engineering program here at Wichita State. So he's making history. <laughs> right. All right. Super cool. So um, this is this is already we the interview just started, but this is already one of the more exciting podcasts I've done in a while. So normally, you know, I have like a psychologist on or something, and and I go. Uh, to see them and, and they're just, they have an office with some books in it and stuff and I get to see that. <laughs> if, if they do have a lab, maybe I get to see a few beakers from time to time, maybe a rat cage, but you guys have it, it, looks, like a, it looks like a movie set in your lab. You have one of the more, more sophisticated labs that I've ever been in. Yeah, so um, we have a motion capture studio which I think is, uh, for me, coming in from like a student, that was the, one of the coolest things I saw in this department. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we don't use it for movies, but, you know, we could. You, yeah, do you guys can. ever try to do the, like, a remake Lord of the Rings or any, any like, Gollum impressions or anything that like that? That might be kind on of a, like one on of the, the like, off hours. One of the, like, midnight projects for us or something. <laughs> um, but, no, they, they use it for um, looking at a lot of the mechanical forces and, uh, you know, the, a lot of the important factors of human movement so that they can solve a lot of problems. And so um, that's a really cool lab. I, like, I, really, I didn't know about that coming into this, that um, that was such a huge area for uh, medicine or engineering. So that was a pretty cool area. So uh, explain a little more what are, what, uh, when you talk about studying human movement, what kind of specifically are you studying with the... So we're looking at the forces um, basically when you move. So what they have is they have a setup where um, there's a bunch of cameras that track markers on your body, and then they have these plates on the floor that find the force. So when you stand on them, um, that'll end up showing you like a, a vector where you get how much force when you're standing on there. If you move rock back and forth, you can tell exactly how those forces are translating. Uh, you can also look at torsional forces so when you twist around it'll show you how much you're twisting by and so when they put all of that together the camera and the markers and the forces they can get a more comprehensive model for human movement and be able to solve problems so you know um, if you walk maybe a little bit funny maybe one leg's longer than the other or you have maybe problems with muscles or bones I have a bad foot that I love uh, annoying my audience by bringing up for three and a half years on almost every episode. It's not even that bad. Right. So you found you found uh, your life's calling then because you can go in there and they would actually be able to tell you how you're walking and maybe how to fix it. Um, You know, maybe you need to just have a different size shoe or something like that. And then your foot would be just a okay. 
that's all I need is a different. If I went in there and I found out that all I needed was a different size shoe for the last three and a half years. Well, it depends on what I'd you mean by bad real, foot. Me and my audience would be real upset with myself. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's, I had a couple surgeries on it. It's not a big deal. But um, so, so you have? Do you have someone come in that is injured, and then so? Yeah, they so look- you have like a physical therapist come in as well and look at. Yeah, so we, um, there are, there's a bunch of different studies that uh, they look at, and so a lot of them involve a physical therapist because, again, so like our area, uh, a lot of it has to do with bridging engineering and medicine together. So a lot of times it's a lot of the engineers working with a doctor, or in, in uh, the case of the biomechanics lab, they work with physical therapists a lot um, because they might bring in somebody. And so like one of the things that they are looking at might be... Uh, older people they might have muscle fatigue and so you know they can't really it's, it's harder for them to um, maintain their muscle mass when they get older uh, and you know you have a bad back or something like that and so they might be looking at different ways of is there a way that maybe we can help you work out without exerting as much effort but being able to help um, build up muscle mass or, or or at least maintain what's left and so they, they might try a couple different strategies. And so based off of how they move, that might be able to um, help them work out better. They're, they're looking at actually compressing the parts of their body, like with a, like a, kind of like a blood pressure cuff, and then working out in a low um, oxygen environment. And so it kind of simulates getting a really hard workout, but with a low effort. And so that might be able to help uh, them recover faster or maybe prevent injuries. So... They don't know yet, but that's why you know this is research. So they're, they're, that's something that they might be looking at. This sounds like just a cover for you guys to have a sweet virtual reality set up. Oh, it totally uh, do, is. I didn't guys... show you in there, but we have a virtual reality headset set up to the motion capture. Oh, do you? That's yeah. awesome. You I, got you I, guys have some games. We were yes. playing some uh, Jedi lightsabers uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other day. You guys have the coolest job. job. Right? This is uh, yeah. that's wonderful, man. I would have went to college had I known I could have been doing stuff like this. As, uh, I'm just feeling a lot of regrets right now as I have <laughs> to go and perform at a place called the Looney Bin this evening. Yeah, <laughs> it's a silly name for a place. Yes, while I was playing, uh, <laughs> I think I was Luke Skywalker or something. Our department head just uh, walked in. And <laughs> I was like, okay. I'm doing science here. <laughs> yeah, this right. is all for science. <laughs> <laughs> well, so virtual reality is is becoming more and more popular, and people have uh, – so for the listener that hasn't um, – that has never seen this setup there's there's these motion camera uh, capture cameras set up kind of in the perimeter uh, around the ceiling um in a room and i think if you if you buy a i forget the name of the different um products out there uh, the vive yeah. or whatever yeah vive like uh, you have like two different ones you you put up in the corner of your your rooms do you think that maybe in the future eventually people will have much like um you know, they, they try to, uh, use like we fit in nursing homes or whatever to get people more, more active. Maybe, maybe in the future people will have this virtual reality set up and in their room, they'll be able to diagnose what's, what's wrong with, a, a part of their, a, a particular muscle group or something. And it can even give feedback and, and exercises that they could use. I mean, probably not in the very close future, but down the road, like, right. I, I mean, I think it's definitely possible. People are already looking at uh, a lot of things that they can do with VR and how they can kind of implement medicine. They can implement it into medicine. 
um, and also with augmented reality, so VR and AR. Um, I know AR is used in some. What's medical, AR? So augmented reality, oh, right. like the Hololens. Um, I'm not familiar. Oh really? Actually, so like the Google glasses are are uh, like the the Hololens. They have these headsets where. Um, they're basically like glasses, and so I mean you can still see normally with them, but on the glass they might have um, some sort of augmentation where they show you maybe like um, you could have like maybe your health, like your biometrics, or you might be able to just surf the web or something, but still be able to see kind of in here. Whereas a VR helmet, you you put the headset on and then you're completely in a different world. Yeah, I've walked into a wall in a, in a, <laughs> in a VR before. I mean, yeah, there's there's these like crazy people making even like non-Euclidean uh, planes that you can go walk around and like mathematicians are, are doing that on these VR headsets. Uh, one of the coolest things I think of when I think of VR is just when you put the headset on, it's like you're transported away to a different place and it's so much bigger. So maybe for people that have a lot of like isolation or they're in like a really small place, uh, it might help them kind of um, not really feel that sense of like, you know, being in a really cramped room all the time. Hmm. Sabash, do they let you play with this stuff or is it, do freshmen get to, <laughs> get to well, use the not VR? Really. Not really, actually. Oh, I haven't tried that. I mean, it would be well, fun to try. Well, that's not fair. See, I'm here to stick up for you. Yeah. It would be fun to try, but I haven't tried it, actually. So, um, so I got a huge tour of the lab. You guys do uh, tons of different things. Talk about um, a few of the other things you have going on. Sure, I guess I could talk a little bit about that. You know, maybe I'll preface it by, um, you know, kind of what is biomedical engineering. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, uh, You know, kind of like Ryan was talking about, uh, one area of biomedical engineering is this biomechanics, which deals with human movement and things like that. But there are, you know, other areas. It's actually very multidisciplinary. Um, You know, if you've ever been to like a hospital room and you just look around the room, you'll see a whole bunch of different medical devices and uh, bioinstrumentation. And so another big area of biomedical engineering is, you know, bioinstrumentation, medical devices, wearable sensors, and things like that. And so um, that's really another area where our our lab uh, specializes in, in wearable sensors. We also do things like medical imaging, which is another big area of uh, biomedical engineering. Um you know, most people are familiar with like MRIs and uh, uh, X-ray imaging systems, things like that. But uh, um, again, our lab kind of specializes in you know uh, wearable sensors, medical imaging, and uh, computational modeling. Mm. So, um, so, so yeah, that's kind of our our biggest project we got going on right now is uh, we got a grant from NASA, about a million dollar grant, and uh, to develop a new wearable. Uh, skin patch uh, sensor that's kind of going to be something like a, like a Band-Aid. We kind of envision it being like a Band-Aid that uh, you can put on and measure multiple physiological parameters like body temperature, uh, blood pressure, uh, like cuffless blood pressure, uh, measure blood flow, um, and pressure inside the brain uh, or inside the skull. Uh, NASA's particularly interested in that one. But... Uh, yeah, so so those those are kind of uh, uh, kind of some of the things that we got going on. So uh, and you guys got to go and actually visit NASA too, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah, actually, we've been to Langley, uh, the Langley Research Center, 
in what Hampton, Virginia. Uh, so Ryan, I brought my students with me, um, and uh, we also went down to the Johnson Space Center. Uh, again, I brought my students with me, and you know we got to put on uh, the spacesuit, uh, different parts of the spacesuit, uh, you know, because uh, we want to ultimately put our sensor inside the spacesuit. Um, and so yeah, we had a blast. It was fun. What what was more exciting, visiting NASA or being invited to the Here We Are podcast? <laughs> uh, that's a tough it's, decision. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's it's just we can just say it's a tie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. That's fair. Point flip. Um, although I don't have, I'm sorry that I don't have 1.1 million dollars to uh, okay. to give you guys. Do you have a spacesuit? And no. I don't have a space suit. See, I'm, okay, I'm well, doing all these checks against me now. Uh, I'll make up for it in some other way. Okay. I did think uh, my brainstorming about putting VR uh, help in all that. I'm ju- actually just here looking for a job with you guys. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so I'm just kind of So you can here, be the VR guy. Here to, here to brainstorm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so these, uh, these sensors that I got to... Uh, I, uh, look at a little bit and, and he explained a little bit uh, about them to me what exactly what is NASA's interest in them sure so um, again we're kind of envisioning it to be um, like a wearable skin patch but also it's kind of special in that uh, it you know it doesn't have any electrical components it doesn't have any it doesn't require any batteries uh, to operate and so it's very robust and can be used in a um, what we call kind of a point of care setting. Uh, that's that's like a low resource setting, kind of like space. You go up into space, you don't have very many resources except for what you bring with you, right? And so, um, if your uh, if your sensor or or system that you're using has you know a whole bunch of resistors, capacitors, uh, transistors, and one of them breaks. You know, it's, you can't just step out and replace it and fix it. And so uh, one of NASA's interests is kind of how robust it is, is the, you know, this new, this design that we are, um, you know, exploiting here um, um, makes it very robust. In fact, you can poke holes in it and it'll still work. And, um, and you'll be able to measure, we envision it to be able to measure multiple uh, physiological parameters uh, in a single sensor, so you don't have to have, uh, you know, one sensor for measuring blood pressure, another sensor for measuring temperature, uh, another sensor for you know measuring pressure inside your skull, um, and so uh, I think that's what NASA is really interested in. Uh, another real big thing is that um, you know, like a traditional, most traditional clinical um, medical devices. Um, are going to be bigger and way more, right? And if you imagine for every... I've been in an MRI machine before, and it's big, a, yeah. a little bigger than the Band-Aid that you're holding in your Yeah, and, and this is actually, we envision it as a mini MRI. This mm-hmm. actually uses the same principles as uh, magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, uh, but we've essentially compressed it down into something as simple as a, a, a skin skin patch like this. Uh, so we do envision it this kind of like a mini MRI, 
but as you can imagine, um, you know, for every pound that they have to put on the uh, on the rocket ship, you know, it costs like a million dollars to 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 lift it up into space. And so, if they can simplify that into something in a very simple form factor, they're very interested in that as well. So, um, so, so it doesn't use batteries, um, and it works much like an MRI. So, how exactly does it work? How do you? You you stick this thing on, and then what's what's the other end of? Sure. So the sensor itself is passive. Okay, it doesn't have any batteries or electrical components, and we're just manipulating um, the uh, geometry of a spiral trace of copper. Okay, uh, but it does re- for it to work. It does require an external um, excitation device. So it does require an external radio frequency. Okay. And we kind of envision being able to use something like your cell phone. You know, your cell phone uh, transmits and receives radio waves, right? Um, and so this is all this needs to get energized is to put a cell phone near it, to impinge it with a external radio frequency over a range of frequencies, and uh, then... Uh, uh, this thing will start to uh, resonate. This is what we call an RF resonator. Okay, when it's exposed to an external radio frequency, uh, you know it'll it'll start to resonate, and this electromagnetic field will start to formulate around it. And if you put this on uh, this skin patch, if you put it on uh, somebody's um, arm, that electromagnetic field that formulated around it will penetrate into the tissue. If you put it on the skull, it'll penetrate into the skull. And if you got uh, uh, biofluid shifts or blood flowing, that'll cause small fluctuations in the the field, which we can pick up and correlate with clinical parameters uh, like blood flow. Hmm. Um, will it also be able to measure um, and tell me why I uh, feel empty on the inside? Does it, does it, does it, pick, does it pick that up? Men- mental health? Probably <laughs> maybe, not. Maybe eventually. <laughs> Some mental health issues. We'll put that on the list. Um, we'll add that to the list, yeah. Well, so, and, and I also, you show me some cool temporary tattoos. You can you can actually turn it into a temporary tattoo. Oh, yes, yes. Ryan, you want to uh, yeah. talk to him about that? So, we're, right now we're uh, manipulating a, a copper spiral, right? But it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a standard sheet of copper so we're looking at using uh, conductive ink so they have uh, metallic nanoparticles in them that can conduct electricity and you can put it on your skin so instead of cutting these out or um, chemically um, etching them and turning them into basically um, little spirals that we can put on we can just use a temporary tattoo we can print out a tattoo and put it on the body to do the same things um I am curious, will it, if I have this temporary tattoo on, will it make my uh, hotel key stop working? Uh, unless you make the hotel key on your arm, in which case you can just swipe your arm on the door. And then... Okay, and just quick checking before I sign up for this. Okay. Um, so We are looking for subjects, human subjects, human yeah. participants, let me say. Have you, have you used them on human participants yet? Yes, we have. And let me preface that with, uh, you know, before we do that, we have to get something called IRB approval. 
And so for the protection of human subjects, we have to uh, make sure that it's safe and things like that. So, But yes, we do have uh, approval to uh, begin testing this on, on human subjects. In fact, we're about to publish uh, some of our preliminary work in being able to measure uh, intracranial pressure. That's, uh, that's pressure inside your head. Um, and that's actually some of our most promising data so far is being able to measure um, these biofluid shifts um, inside your head. You were telling me that this is this is something that is particularly of interest to NASA because this is an issue in space. Yes. Uh, um, you, when astronauts go into space, because they're in a microgravity environment, they get a, a shift in their body fluids, um, which I'll call biofluids. You know, here on Earth, you carry most of you know, your blood in your legs because of gravity. But uh, when you go up into space in a microgravity environment, you actually get a shift in biofluids. And a lot of that uh, will shift into your torso and into your head. And um, when you get that increased uh, fluid in your head, that'll increase the pressure. Uh, and what's bad about it is that the increased pressure can actually cause vision impairment. And, you know, you actually talk to astronauts and you, you know, listen to their interviews and stuff. Um, they'll even complain about having, feeling like they have, like, round faces. Like, if you've ever hung upside down before, you can feel that, you can feel that uh, fluid go into your head and it feels like increased pressure in your head. Okay, I'm Batman. You got me. Yes, I do. I I didn't say I was Batman. I just said you'll never see the two of us in the same room together, right? (laughs) My my nephew has a shirt that says that. (laughs) Um, So... uh, so to and and you actually do use inversion tables to um, to simulate this on Earth, right? That's correct. Uh, yeah, to to simulate a microgravity environment and test this here on Earth, uh, yeah, we we use an inversion table. Yeah. What's the purpose of inversion tables outside of that? Why do people? Is there for their, for their back? I think oh, it makes okay. their back decompress. Yeah, decompress. Ah, I see. All right. Well, sold. Good for the joints. Uh, hey, you know, like- you know what? I also mention a couple other. Sure. Um, NASA's also interested in things that have an impact, you know, here on Earth, uh, and so we do envision this being able to be useful in the clinical setting as well, um, in in patients that might have a cerebral hemorrhage or a stroke. But also, probably more excitingly, is if we put this into a helmet. Uh, for concussion uh, uh, monitoring. Um, uh, you know, concussion, if you get a concussion, you will get, you know, increased fluid in your, in, your, in your brain. And so we think we'll be able to measure things like that as well. Um, so those, those are some of the kind of long-term goals, long-term visions of this, of this work. But, um, so this is something paramedics could have with them too when they're uh, rushing to attend to an emergency. It could be particularly useful in a point-of-care setting or a low-resource setting, mm-hmm. like perhaps a paramedic where they don't have all the resources they need and instead they need something simple that can do the job quickly, Yeah, like a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. Put it on. Do they have uh, internal bleeding? Something like that. 
do you see this being used in um, in kind of low income, maybe the third world countries that don't have access to the same technology and care that that we do? This might um, this might simplify and open the doors to um, some better treatment. I think the deck definitely could uh, have an impact there as well. Uh, you know, another area would be uh, like the Department of Defense um, uh, monitoring. Uh, you know, soldiers out on the battlefield. Yes, to like to like add on, like you know, uh, when you talk about cancer, this 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 sensor can even be used for skin cancer detection. Like melanoma is like an aggressive type of cancer, and its probability of developing invasive melanoma is like one in thirty-two for males and one in fifty-three for females, and like a large patients, a large population of patients have a high number of moles on skin, which may be a determining factor for the tumor to grow on skin. And like, there are different techniques, dermoscopy, visual inspections that they currently use in hospitals to look at the moles on skin. But then these techniques are really expensive. And so people living in lower socioeconomic status community, they may not be able to afford the cost of this high treatment stuff, high diagnosis stuffs which may instead turn and lead into the metastasis or like further development of melanoma which is harder to cure and might even lead to death right so the implementation of a low-cost diagnostic skin patch approach in populations with high risk of melanoma it might even generate an early detection program and therefore produce a strong cost-effective solution for melanoma healthcare expenditure of the nation. This sounds really great, and like the way we can harness the cell properties, like different cells have different properties, different electrical properties. Yes, exactly. Oh. That's what we're doing, is we're manipulating and harnessing the uh, uh, the electrical properties of the cells. And I'll just throw, jump in real quick, and, and I wanted to point out that Subash actually just got a scholarship um, to further study this, and he's mostly interested in cancer work. Um, he and one of the other uh, undergraduate research assistants. And as it turns out, Cancer does have uh, changes in its electro electric properties uh, as it becomes, you know, malignant, and uh, uh, so it all has to do with the electrical properties, electrical yes. and, and electric permittivity and magnetic permeability properties uh, of the tissue, and how those change. If there's any change in those, we can pick them up. And so those changes, those change um, the effective properties change as as fluid flows, but also. Uh, as maybe tissue becomes diseased, like so. like different cells have different water contents. So like tumors have a high percentage of water, like eighty point something percentage of water, whereas normal cells have just sixty point something percentage of water. So based on water content differences, we can pick up a different signal and we can try to set up a difference of where the where the sensor resonates while putting the sensor on a different type of cell. And we can then further use it to in, in order to study if, if it's a melanoma or if it's a normal skin. We can study on the moles, and we can create a detection program for that. Yeah. Also throw out a little bit, uh, um, uh, the other und- undergraduate research assistant we have working on this, his name is Bernardo, excellent student. Um, you know, his mom is a dermatologist, and you know is is seeing this problem all the time and so 
you know, he tells me, you know, she's pretty excited. Like, when can she buy one? You know, I'm <laughs> ready to go. Right. And uh, so maybe we have another uh, application there to be able to, for like screening for uh, skin melanoma, things like that. It's amazing. Well, I'm sold. I'm sold on the skin. Pa- I was on the <laughs> fence there for a second, but you, <laughs> you really. I do have a. I do have one important question. What can't this skin patch do? That's that's what I want to know. Uh, is there is there any what what are the uh, um, uh, because the other thing that you you mentioned is that um, it it goes through bone, which is something that an ultrasound has a hard time going through bone um, because of, can you explain that? Because of how, I, I'm sure. I was also just learning this for the first time because of how the sound waves work. Sure, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, the example that we were talking about earlier is if you're trying to, um, you know, measure fluid shifts in the brain or inside the skull, um, you know, some of the limitations of ultrasound is that it just doesn't go through bone very well. Uh, in fact, if you put an ultrasound on your chest, you know, you'll see the shadows of your ribs, you know. And, you know, your skull is, you know, just all bone. Although there are some, you know, um, uh, there are multiple bones in your skull that are connected through what we call um, cranial sutures, right? You've probably seen them, and when you're a baby, they're not fully closed, but as you get older, they start closing. There are small windows there where ultrasound can kind of get through, but it's not uh, it's not ideal. And so, yes, one of the biggest benefits here and uh, that we're really excited about is that uh, the electromagnetic field that f- generates on this skin patch sensor has no problem going through bone and detecting these biofluid shifts uh, inside the inside the skull. And so, uh, kind of a big advantage there. Yeah. How did you guys come up with this idea? You know what? Uh, these RF resonators have been around actually for a long time. Uh, kind of. Uh, uh, got their start in um, um, uh, it's something we call uh, an RLC circuit, a resistor inductor capacitor circuit. In fact, this is how your radio works. Uh, when you tune it to the right frequency, the resonant frequency, you know, it'll transmit and receive properly, right? Uh, so these things have actually been around for a long time. Uh, and uh, NASA actually started pioneering different versions of these called open circuit resonators um, to be able to measure fluid volume in um, in like the rockets, right? The the fuel cells or the of the rockets. Uh, they needed a, a non-invasive way of measuring, you know, how much fuel is there. If you if you have to put a probe inside there to measure how much fuel is in your rocket, uh, you give a channel for uh, you know some spark to go inside and blow up the rocket, right? So they were look, looking at non-invasive ways. You know, when I saw that for the first time, you know, being a biomedical engineer, I didn't see a rocket, uh, a rocket tank. Instead, I saw a leg, and I saw uh, instead of fuel inside the rocket tank, I saw a leg with blood inside of it, you know? And I said, hey, we could use that technology to measure blood flow uh, in patients with peripheral artery disease. And that's kind of how I got started into it. And, uh, you know, we contacted uh, NASA. Uh, we started talking. We went up there, visited them, and started talking about ideas on how we can collaborate. 
And uh, it turns out NASA's not only interested in spaceships and rockets, but they're also, if you think about it, who's inside those spaceships and rockets? Humans. Humans, yes. And so they're also interested in, in biomedical engineering and being able to monitor crew health and uh, you know mission-critical uh, uh, parameters. So, so yeah, that's kind of how I got started into it. And, you know, since then, we've made some modifications. We've, uh, um, you know, put together some more, you know, experiments. And it's really just starting. We're really just kind of in the initial phases here. We've been doing this maybe for about uh, two years now, I guess. We got, uh, you know, our first grant, uh, you know, was maybe about a, a $200,000 grant. Uh, and uh, we we had some pretty good promising results from that and we applied for another grant and uh, it was a larger million dollar grant and here we are Uh, we'll see where it goes from here all right well this is awesome and i also like that uh i feel like i'm getting the inside scoop as you have a publication that hasn't that hasn't come out yet so i'm really getting the insider info you're two years into uh working on this and so you kind of just started doing some human trials um do you do you have any expectations how kind of far away you are before you start seeing um this being applied you know, uh, you know, you're right. For the last, really, last two years, we've been working on like benchtop models, like uh, a, a fake arm phantom. Mm-hmm. Uh, a phantom is something we call a fake body part, essentially. So we have multiple phantoms. We have a, an arm phantom, and even Subash here is working on making a skull phantom. We should show you a picture of it, but he's got like this fake brain that we put inside of a, a skull, and uh, but it has the same electromagnetic properties as a real brain. Uh, um, and so, it's yeah, like we, a reality TV star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have, we have James in there. Our, our mannequin <laughs> is named James. Um, but uh, uh, um, yeah, we just started working on uh, doing some preliminary human studies, which are looking very promising. But you know, the nature of research is—I don't know. I mean, it could be a, a year if everything goes well. It could be two years, three years. Uh, in fact, Ryan just got a another uh, scholarship um, for um, like entrepreneurship and uh, innovation. Uh, and um, you want to tell him a little bit about that because yeah. you know, kind of, kind of our next step here is we do want to try to um, perhaps commercialize this. Mm-hmm. You know, start a small company and uh, do some ventures. I'm there. in, guys. All right. In, right? And, and, and so Ryan is really kind I don't of... Have, I don't have money to invest, <laughs> but if you need a spokesman, okay. maybe I can like, write a jingle or something for you. Oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, we're, we are looking at uh, you know different venture opportunities, and Ryan's kind of heading that up. You want to tell him a little, about, a little bit about right. that? Right. So, I mean, I do a lot of um, medical research, too, on the sensor. Um you know, I'm very interested in the blood flow aspect of that, which I think we've kind of talked a little bit about. But at the same time, um, you know, one of the reasons why I think this is so exciting for me is because I see this as something that can really um, be put out there into the world and can be used. You know, I see so much cool research and uh, a lot of it, you know, could be decades down the road. This one, I can see this kind of before I leave here, we might actually be able to have this finished and people could be using it. And so that's really um, kind of inspirational for me. And so um, part of being able to do that would be to commercialize it so that people can buy and use it. And so what we've started to do is 
we're right now looking for um, we're, we're, we're trying to find the best way to put this into a product for somebody that would want to use it, right? And so this thing can do all sorts of crazy stuff, right? We told you like cancer and blood pressure and intracranial pressure. But um, to start, we wanted to look at like the most fundamental um, vital sign that we all have. So, you know, if somebody's on the ground and the you know, paramedic goes and checks on them, what do they do? They look and see if they're breathing and they check if they have a pulse, right? And so... Right now, what we're doing is putting together a type of compression sleeve um, that somebody can put on, and it'll have our sensor in it, and it'll tell them if you know what their pulse is, their heart rate. So if you go, if you're an endurance athlete, um, you know you have. If you, if you're training, you want to try and maximize your training, right? But there's this thing called uh, well overtraining, uh, and it's where your body ends up being damaged faster than it can repair. And so if an endurance athlete goes a little too hard, then they're just going to be on a downhill slope. And so they're actually not getting the best benefit that they can. That's me. I just work too hard. Work too that's, hard. Yeah, that's always been my problem. So you need our new sensor. Then. That would help you. Cause what we could do is tell you like, you know, you can look at how fast your heart's going. Um, and if it's going, if your heart rate's going too fast, for too long, then you're probably entering a zone where you're overtraining. And if you're not going fast enough, then you could be going a little bit harder, right? So something like that where we can tell um, people, you know, where where their heart is and what it's doing, uh, that's kind of our, our step one in this whole process. And so it would be good for endurance athletes, but also, you know, anybody who's like a gym goer and wants to just track it or if they're, you know, they play basketball or something and they want to look at their heart rate while they're playing. Um, so we, we formed a company, um, Sci Five, and we're we're right now kind of how, how do you spell that? C Y and then the number five. Oh, okay. And so um, we're going to start with this, but then we're going to be branching out, and turning all of these incredible things that the sensor can do into um, something that somebody can use. Right? I mean, if if I wanted to, um, if you wanted to use this. You know, it might be a little tricky to like, okay, let me look at, you know, what's the electromagnetic wave and what's this resonant shift. Um, you, you know, you, it, we need something in between, right? So that, That's we, interpreting the yeah. data. So that, that, that's a lot of what I'm doing too is kind of translating that stuff into something that you can use and you, you would end up saying, okay, what's my heart rate? And then you could look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're right now we're seeking investment funding and going through that, that whole track and hopefully by the time i graduate that's where we'll well this is bigger than fitbit this is this is gonna be huge we'll see yeah yeah that'll that'll be awesome i will point out that uh, you know this is one of the goals uh that nasa has in our grant is that they want to they want us to be able to have some sort of um impact um and they actually encourage us to uh try to partner with industry or uh, to try to start a small business, they really wanted to have some kind of economical impact, um, you know, for the investment. And um, and so, you know, WSU does, you know, Wichita State does want to be like the, an economic driver uh, of the community. That's one of the, you know, one of the missions of the university. And so, um, you know, um, and it's not just us. The, I, I'm I'm a, uh, what we call the science principal investigator on this grant, but I also have some co-investigators, uh, Dr. Jeremy Patterson and Dr. Anil Mahapatro. They're also involved in this work. Um, and uh, you know, Dr. Patterson, one of his areas of expertise 
you know, he just started this new program called, uh, what is it, the Masters in Innovation Design program. And really, it's all centered and focused around entrepreneurship. And not just making cool things and publishing them, you know, but actually making cool things and starting a small business and actually having some impact. Uh, and uh, and so he's really kind of leading up that side of this project. Um but, uh, um, yeah, he's got a couple of his Masters in Innovation Design students partnered with Ryan, and they're, you know, going to be entering this, uh, what we call this WCU Ventures competition and trying to go for, you know, learning how to how, how to make a pitch and learning how to start a small business and, uh, you know, see if we can have some kind of uh, economical impact here in Kansas, you know, Uh that's really one of the uh, uh, goals of this this grant that we got. Well, that's why you guys are partnering with me. You know, this is now <laughs> I'm gonna. This is this is my new merch that I'm gonna sell after shows. And instead of, instead of this cool design, can we like put my face? Yeah, on, yeah, okay. on the sensor on the sensor instead. And then, then I'll I'll just do an act about uh, about blood pressure and and uh, we can't and, put logos on, on yeah, here. Yeah, you tried it. You tried it. Well, I'm out then. I, what what good is it if I can't put my face on it? Um, I mean, how much? So how much is that that you that you're holding right now? How much did that cost to make? Well, since we're still in the you know research phase, uh, you know uh, it's going to be probably more expensive than uh, kind of when we're done. But, um, you know, right now this is pretty cheap. I mean, it's a a sheet of copper and uh, some other coating. And... um it's pretty cheap. I don't know. A dollar? Two, yeah, ten dollars? A couple maybe? bucks, maybe. Couple that's bucks, that's yeah. the generous overestimate. Yeah. 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 So I buy them from you guys for a dollar each. I sell them after my shows for twenty dollars each. That's a big <laughs> oh, that's a big markup. I get the word out there for you guys. This is, well, this is why we want so much rolling. For like a point of care environment, right? Because it's so cheap. Um I mean, for places that can't afford it. I, why why not uh why not everyone have them in their home all the, wouldn't eventually down the road when when someone be able to just their doctor check in email them be like hey slap this thing on your arm here or on your heart here and then and then get whatever feedback and and have that sent back to them like i'm, I'm saying yeah. like 20 years from now like maybe like, like you that. know you have like a scale that you stand on and instead of just giving your weight it's going to tell you you know like how you know what's your what's all your health parameters you know um how healthy are you today you know yes right? yes one of the areas of research that i am i'm particularly uh passionate about and interested in kind of uh where i started in my phd when i was a graduate student is working with patients with peripheral artery disease what's uh, that you know uh, pad we call it pad pad peripheral artery disease is a vascular disease um uh, that's you know characterized by blockages in your arteries. You know you get plaque buildup in your arteries, but but particularly in your you know in your legs and your peripheral uh, arteries. And when you get blockages in your arteries, you know that causes reduced blood flow to the legs, right? And over time, and, and part of the problem is is it's an age related disease. So the problem is you know people just think they're getting old. Their legs starting to hurt, but they just think they're getting old. But for reals, they have a more severe underlining condition, which is peripheral artery disease, 
which can end up in amputation. Uh, you can lose your leg from it. Um, and so uh, being able to detect it early, like screening, that was really the first vision for this work was uh, a screening tool for pad patients. Uh, to um, and so kind of what Ryan was just talking about, you know, sticking this into like a, a way uh, way scale. Like you wake up in the morning, you step on the scale. If this is in there too, and it should, it'll try to monitor blood flow through your your legs um, in both feet, you know. And if you're missing uh, blood flow in one foot, that might be because you got a blockage, and you might have uh, peripheral artery disease. You should go see your physician. So really, that's that was the original vision for this work hmm. oh, yeah. this is amazing i think uh yeah this is this is really exciting uh stuff i mean so so you think that before you're out of here you're gonna have uh ryan you think that you're going to, going to see this out in the real world I think so, at least in, in its infancy you know mm-hmm. um it might take a little bit longer for uh some of these more um, I guess you'd say like complex things that we're measuring, like especially with um, the intracranial pressure, um, or maybe if we were looking at our, our cancer stuff, you know, we don't want to just spit that out the door immediately. But um, we do a lot of our research on blood flows has progressed enough to where we can start putting that out there and people can start using it. And yeah, I, I really, I mean, I was I was convinced on it, or else I wouldn't be here right now. So um, that's amazing. I, I so. If, is this like under patent and everything and and yes we have uh uh filed a patent for this um biomedical applications of uh, rf resonators so yeah we have uh uh patent pending what um what other hurdles do you uh do you kind of have in front of you what what more work do you have to do Sure, it's not magic. It's not uh, like the answer to all problems. It does have limitations, you know, um, and we have to overcome those limitations uh, um, on multiple fronts, right? Um, so, um, yeah, I, maybe I won't list them all. <laughs> but in any case, that's the that, I, I don't that's, <laughs> name everything bad about your product. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just curious in in terms of I mean to to go from where you are now to where where you want to be what what exactly is going to need to happen? It still does require a lot of research and validation. Mm-hmm. So we, right now, the preliminary results we have on our benchtop um, phantom models and our preliminary results in humans all look very promising. But uh, we still require a lot of validation and proof of concept, okay, to make sure um, we can really do these things. And so, if we're gonna, if we're gonna, you know, claim to be able to measure uh, biofluid shifts inside the uh, the skull, um, you know, we need to validate that. And so, right now, we've we've done it on a very limited number of subjects, but uh, you know, we it's going to take time to validate all of these clinical parameters and make sure that uh, we can actually do what we think we can do. Yeah. So, well, obviously this is the, the skin patches, a, a, a huge, huge part of, of what you're doing. Very exciting. Um, but, uh, what else is, uh, what else do you have, um, going on in the lab just before we kind of start, as we start wrapping up, what other, projects do you have going on 
Sure. Well, like I said, this is really kind of the major project mm-hmm. that we got going on. But uh, other areas that we kind of specialize in in our lab is, you know, um, medical imaging and computational modeling. And so kind of the other big uh, thrust of my lab is uh, working with PAD patients, patients with peripheral artery disease and quantifying biochemical alterations that occur um, as in their muscles. So after over time um, of having this reduced blood flow, uh, your muscle starts to get damaged. And um, so that's kind of another big area of work in our lab that involves uh, some imaging, uh, some spectral imaging, uh, using different forms of spectroscopy, and uh, trying to identify new therapeutic targets in damaged muscle that can either slow down the muscle degeneration or reverse it. And uh, um, so that, that, that's another big area of work that, that we're doing. Yeah. Well, great. Well, I have. I mean, is this is this something that's going to be open um, to uh, the public eventually? Are you going to be looking for investors, or is this uh, is it is this something that I should be pointing? If the listeners want to find out more about this, how do they? Uh, what's the name of the the website for the lab? Sure. Um, so the lab website is uh, it's the BioMe Lab B I. O-M-E lab here at Wichita State University. I guess if you just do a search for the BioMe lab, you'll you'll find it uh, under Dr. Clough. I'm the principal investigator in the lab. Do a search for that. You'll find it uh, on Google. Um, and yeah, anybody want to invest on what we're doing? Anybody excited about what we're doing? We'll definitely talk to you. Awesome. Um, if I had money, <laughs> I would definitely be in. But that's why I'm the spokesman. Um, so I have my guests each week. I hope I emailed and told you this. Otherwise, uh, anyway, uh, I did. Okay, good. I have my guests each week um, plug a nonprofit of their choice. Just a fun, nice little thing we like to do on the show. Okay. So so uh, the one uh, I wanted to plug was the International Rescue Committee. It's this really cool nonprofit. It was founded by Albert Einstein back in World War II to um, get people fleeing out of Nazi Germany. And so what they do is they provide assistance and aid to refugees. And so right now that's a very big thing right over in Syria. Right. And so um, they're, they've kind of hit a, a hard spot lately, like a rough patch. And so I, I think that they probably need a lot of help. But what they do is incredible work. And they're definitely um, very, very good at what they do. And what's the name one more time? It's the International Rescue Committee. Well, awesome. Well, this is fantastic, guys. I am so excited about the work that you're doing. I can't wait till I get uh, one of your tattoos, and we're gonna we're gonna we'll chat about the merch idea after after the podcast, of course, and and uh, figure out how to turn. I, I've always wanted to be a cyborg too. So if there's anything you guys can do to help speed that process along, <laughs> okay, we that do, would yeah. be terrific. <laughs> uh, we'll brainstorm. We're just gonna yeah have you do the rounds in each of our labs, and you'll come out. <laughs> something will happen. <laughs> terrific well thank you Sabaj, kim and ryan for joining me today and uh thank you listeners for tuning in you are uh, wonderful curious people and i will talk with you next week thank you next week on the here we are podcast talking about dung beetles a whole episode on dung beetles and me trying to attempt to make 
new clever dung beetle jokes to a dung beetle researcher. You know that's not going to work. They've heard them all. Spoiler alert, all the dung beetle jokes you can make have already been made. But you can hear me try and fail anyway. Uh, And it's a really fascinating episode. Really interesting, peculiar behavior that that these little, little guys have. So... If you want to hear about insects that crawl around and live in and eat dung all day, next week is the episode for you. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorite. I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh my god. Scarface, 22 to 45. (laughs) Like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would he even why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype and that he has come for his cocaine. As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, oh my he spots his dear friend who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. <laughs> Ciao Bella, it's me, Scarface. <laughs> oh my 